Footy Ado, the Delusional Soccer Podcast. Footy Ado, a soccer delusion shared by two brothers in close association. Footy Ado, European Night. Welcome in to another episode of Footy Ado European Nights. This is episode four of European Nights. Um, if you're used to listening to us on our regular our regular scheduled programming, um, that is our Premier League talk that's coming out always on uh, Sundays or Mondays. Uh, that's it's uh, usually with me and the good old brother Jared, but um, we're switching it up for European Nights finally. Um, I've kind of been promising this for. A little while that we we're going to be bringing on some of my uh, fellow writers at Last Word on Football, and we've gotten to match week uh, four, and finally, I'm answering on that promise. Um, pleased to be uh, joined tonight by Mike Lindquist, European football writer and Manchester City content manager for Last Word on Football. Welcome in, Mike. How you doing? How you doing? Doing well. I'm doing well. I, I can't complain right now. Um, yeah. Not too much to complain about. A couple uh, days of exciting football that we uh, yeah, got some good just watched. This week. And uh, considering you're the, the Manchester City content manager at Last Word on Football, uh, it only seems right that we talk about the uh, mayhem that, that we just finished watching. Uh, Manchester City won. Atalanta won. Uh, this, this match took place... In Italy, uh, actually at the San Siro, um, and City consider themselves lucky uh, to to come away with a point there. Um, the the big talking point is, of course, the game finishing with Kyle Walker in goal. Ederson starts, subbed off at halftime, sent off, and Kyle Walker replaces him and actually makes a save in this one, um, but. But what are your thoughts overall on uh, on on what happened there in Italy? Um, well, it's a concern. Obviously, the first the first thing to worry about is uh, what happened with Ederson, you know, with Liverpool on Sunday. Um, what kind of situation is Ederson in? Like, how injured was he? I believe uh, Pep Guardiola said after the game that it was a precaution that they took him out. It wasn't like oh, he's hurt, we need to take him out. It was, we think he might get hurt if he plays the second half. So I think that's a good sign. Um, and then as far as the second half, um, Claudio Bravo is um, a character, to say the least. Not least because, like, to get sent off is one thing. But, like, to get sent off flying 40 yards out of your goal on a ball that you have no need to go do that for is classic Claudio Bravo, I feel like. It's it's exactly what we have uh, come to expect from him. Um, yeah. Maybe not in the earlier part of his career, but it, this, uh, this this tenure certainly... at Man City is... Yeah. Has he wasn't like this at Barcelona. Tra- it's, it's completely transformed the type of player he is and the type of... Uh, the type of thoughts we have on his ability yeah. as a goalkeeper. Exactly. Um, and you're afraid when he comes in the game. Cause oh my God. Yeah. Flying out. Yeah. It's, it's just a terrifying thought. I mean, it's, I don't know that there's, 
anyone that uh, I'd be less confident in in coming on at halftime in a Champions League game. Yeah. Um, and it's and that's not to say it's not to say that he's not a a decent keeper, but for whatever reason, in a Man City shirt, he just does not look up for it. He he doesn't. He seems like he doesn't has a hard time dealing with the high line and um, when to come out. Like um, we all can think of, like what Manuel Neuer used to do when Pep was at Barcelona or at Bayern Munich, excuse me. And like um, Claudio Bravo, like tries to play like that when he doesn't have to, you know. Hey, yeah, when he, Edison, when he doesn't Edison have doesn't to try to play like that. When he doesn't have to, and when he doesn't even have probably half the ability to do so um like yeah, Neuer we're did. We're talking about like 30-year-old Manuel Neuer and this is 36-year-old Claudio Bravo. Yeah. Um and it doesn't get much better by the way if they if they go to the be- go further down the bench cuz I believe the only other keeper available is uh 38-year 34-year-old uh Derby Loney Scott Carson. Yeah, that I don't day. know why he, I don't <laughs> know why he's there, you know. Um <laughs> I would assume he's there because Claudio Bravo is is or, not or because not he just a great backup. That that's possible. Um, yeah. If you want to be a coach, learning from Pep Guardiola seems seems to be the way to go. Um, yeah. So a, a, a couple go a, a couple other talking points from this match. Um, in the first half, City looked not really dominant, but they looked the better team, and then. Uh, the the kind of last few minutes before halftime where Sterling gets pulled back, ref points to the spot, VRA does a check, says nope, outside the box, and then that free kick goes off the arm of of an Atalanta player. Uh, yes, off of Ilicic, and uh, it goes to VAR, points to the spot, and then Gabriel Jesus uh, puts the penalty wide. And it, one, it wasn't a confident run-up, and two, it wasn't pulled it wide. It yeah. wasn't it was one, one of where, those ones where he just pulled it. it it's completely. I feel like the this happens more in the modern game, and it's the the type of thing where they're trying to throw off, trying to do a different type of run up, and instead of just so focusing, yeah, instead of just <laughs> focusing on finding the back of the net, um, yeah. it kind of reminds me of the way that. Uh, Joseph Martinez takes goals for uh, Atlanta United, takes penalties for Atlanta United. He kind of does that weird hop skip that yeah, ends up working for than, him. His is weirder than Jorginho's. There was that one time, though, where he recently, I can't, I think it was like what, middle of the summer, where he hopped over some, hopped over and hit it a mile over. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't always weird. work, but it's, it's, it's just one of those where, not you're never going to be 100 percent from the penalty spot, but you gotta hit the target in this situation. And ultimately, down the line, they they needed a second goal to get all three points, and uh, this really cost them. Yeah, it did. Um, he's obviously like that's obviously one that he's got to bury, especially if you're going to be a center forward. Um, and it's not just that he like the prop. I feel like it wouldn't. It's it's a bigger bigger issue that. He kind of like I don't know if you saw it during the game, but he caught like when uh, the penalty was called, Sterling picks the ball up first, and then um, he eventually gives it to Jesus without without much like protestation or anything. But like if you're gonna be the guy that like all right I want the penalty, 
you can't pull it. Just don't like pulling it or skying it are the two things you just can't do. You have to if if it's not gonna go in, you have to force the keeper to do something. Yeah, uh, at least get saved to do or something, something to do Maybe something you'll get pretty lucky spectacular. And yeah. Step off the line. Uh huh. <laughs> like there's uh, yeah, it's just a bad penalty. Um, but as far as the play, like the open play, Manchester City fans on Twitter will be um, pretty upset. Honestly, with a lot of the play, it wasn't top of the it wasn't top of the line. Even for like with that with playing against Atalanta, you expect to get some shots at least. You know, you expect to get some opportunities, and they didn't have nearly as many opportunities as you would expect them to have in a game like this. You know, and I think that's probably a concern because it's. You know, Liverpool, obviously everybody, like, the, their initial reaction would be, oh, okay, just throw it on Liverpool. Like, they're worried about Liverpool on Sunday, and, you know, that's fair. But um, you'd like to see a better performance. There weren't many memorable moments, to say the least. No, and, you know, besides the, it was like the end of the first half, we had excitement, like I mentioned. And then yeah, the end of the second the half, we moments had. were vo- were VAR involved. Yes, which <laughs> is happening more and more. You know, on yeah. on this podcast, we try our best to not make the discussion about VAR, but it just, just keeps it, making it necessary. It's just like honestly, the the Premier League is doing this so wrong. Like I'm, I'm not, we're not going to get into it. Just let them use the monitors. It's, the monitors are there. They haven't been used, at least in the they, Premier League. Apparent, apparently, it's uh, they're under initiative not to go to the monitor. They're supposed to not go to the monitor. I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense to me. If that's but, the if that's the idea, then why is the monitor there in the first place? I think well, that's one of the most frustrating FIFA things about it. FIFA mandates the monitors. Okay, so if and you then... have VAR, they mandate having the monitors. I know, like that's something that I saw. I believe. Uh, ESPN's Gabriel Mercati was tweeting about this earlier today. Okay. Um, he said that they mandate the monitors, but they don't um, like mandate the rule, like how you use it. They just mandate having the equipment there. That for, just uh, it for Champions League things. It I guess I seems know. seems like a waste of time if you're gonna put a mandate. It seems in like a waste and of not time. Really... The Premier League's not using them, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does, and, and I think that's the most frustrating part about it. Like you know being being uh you know an american supporter i grew up watching you know i and later in my life i got into soccer um but i grew up watching the nfl um and there's always been reviews in the nfl and anyone can tell you that uh if you watch the nfl week in week out the reviews they really don't make it it's not like the reviews in the NFL are 100, percent and they're going through their no. own issues with the pass interference uh, being reviewable this yeah. year, and that that's more it's of a headache. Big of a mess. <laughs> but um, I th- I enjoy the fact that VAR is there for when it's like a mind blowing call that like a referee put his flag up when someone wasn't even close yeah. to being offside. Like I I want to hate VAR, but it takes me back to, you know, as an Arsenal fan, it takes me back to Arsenal and United at Old Trafford and Aubameyang scores and the, the assistant's flag goes up and he's not even close to being offside. So yeah. 
it's the moments like that. But now we've got the the new handball rule, um, that, which we're we're gonna get problem. into that. Let's hold yeah. off on that just for a few minutes until we get to the Chelsea game. Um, but we will dive deep into that first. Before we do that, let's get into Spurs against Red Star Belgrade, a four nil comprehensive win for Tottenham. Um, Much no, needed. Yeah, absolutely. They will uh, not be complaining about this one. No Toby, no Jan Vertonghen, Erickson on the bench, no Arier. Um And that doesn't only seem like a rotation because you're playing a lesser side in the Champions League. It, it it's We keep seeing the players who reportedly, um, and some very directly, don't want to be there. Um, yeah. and that's been a huge, a huge talking point for Spurs and, you know, it's been a big part of their scr- struggles so far. Um, so do you think that, uh, Pochettino is going to keep it like this going into the weekend? Or do you think that those players who, um, you know, have an eye on their future away from the club will I, be brought back in? I have a hard time thinking that. Um, it'll be Dyer and Sanchez again. Um, just that's not even. I mean, I don't have any. I don't have any Tottenham information, but like, <laughs> that's just a strange combination of center backs. Yeah. For him, for them, um, Foyth seems like he's the second or best right back on the team. Like, I don't know. He plays right back for the Argentine national team. I've never been impressed, so I don't really like. I don't know what's going on there. Um, the thing about that. That performance today that I would keep though, you have he like he's gotta stop benching Ndombele because Ndombele is the best midfielder that they have. Yeah, like, and it's and it, he's gotta be in there every week, and you can play him with Sizoko or with Winks. I feel like. Yeah, but, he he does partner well with both of them, and it's it's a situation where Ndombele, you know, he has had an off game or two since, since joining, but he's, he was really good today. He was, was he was was brilliant today. today. And it's, it's November. He was signed in the summer. How long, you know, do we want him to, you know, walk in and be the best player on the pitch right away? No, you have to, there's a a little bit of a, a learning curve there. I just don't, I mean, I don't, I haven't been very impressed by Harry Winks. Um, like, He's an he's a good player. He's not a top six midfielder. No, I I agree with that there. And I don't know. You Spurs know. fans seem to seem to feel a little bit differently about that. Spurs fans a lot of people seem to and so does Pochettino him. apparently. Yeah. Um, I feel like some of that has to do with the homegrown thing. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. You know, you have to have players like that. Um, but like. He's just, I feel like when you have, I mean, you can rotate them. You know, Like, I don't mind the idea of rotating Winks, Suzoko, and Ndombele. But while you're struggling, Ndombele's got to be in there. And I think that front four is something that he should consider long-term, too. Because um, Lo Celso on the right and Son on the left works naturally better than any of their combinations i feel like Mm -hmm. you know like you get lochelso cutting in for i mean it's juan foyth at right back but you know like if it was a better right back 
and Danny Rose, like one of the goals today came from Son coming in and Danny Rose going over the over overlap. So, you know, I feel like um, with those, I feel like the front four is something that he should keep. Probably the front six, honestly. Um, that's the most important part. And it's it's good to see um, after what happened at the weekend um, at Goodison Park. It's good to see uh, Son get two goals in a in a four minute span there. Um, a very uh, apologetic celebration. Yes, absolutely. It seemed to uh, point to um, Andre Gomez, who actually posted uh, a video thanking everybody for their uh, their yeah. thoughts, prayers, concern, support. Um, and it's, whatnot after that was, injury. It was a that was a nasty injury. Yeah, that's one of those where it's like I, I, for some reason put myself I was very through surprised. the pain. I was very surprised, and I don't. I mean, impressed really that the world the feed didn't show the in, the replay. Yeah, I don't know if you were. I was watching the game, and the feed didn't show the replay. And I was happy that the feed didn't show the replay. Yet I still. When and I still went and looked for it later because <laughs> it happened anytime, anytime there's a bad injury like that. I'm the guy that watched Kevin Ware's bone pop out of his yeah, leg yeah. several I times. Like that in a long time. That one I don't want to go back and see. But like, I don't know why I do it to myself. I regret it every time, and yet I'm never <laughs> going to change. I'm going to do it a hundred percent of the time. But um, for like, it was you know, and, and Son's uh, red card has been rescinded. Um, it's good to see him uh, back on the score sheet. Honestly, if he didn't get sent off uh, against Everton, they probably would have had to sub sub him off, considering the mental state it seemed like he was in, and that was a you know a tough result um, for for Spurs to lose or to uh, drop points late against Everton. But um, they kind of got back on track, and yeah. um, the uh, <laughs> the Luchelso opener in this one was a little bit. A little bit wild. It seemed like one of those <laughs> one of those FIFA yeah. goals where you're kind of uh, if that doesn't go in, you're gonna break your controller. <laughs> Kane off the post. Then uh, son, I, uh, son's crotch off of the crossbar. Uh huh. Off the crossbar, right. there was a, a block on the line. It, it was, yeah. and then finally, finally put home by the Chelsea. But that's a a four nil win for Tottenham. And Way in. Belgrade, which is never like, like we, in we tend to believe that these big clubs should uh, dominate away in Europe. Like, it's not a bad result to go away to one of these hostile countries like Serbia or Russia, or Croatia and win or draw one-one. You know, it's not that terrible of a result. No, it's All not. Things considered, yeah. Considering you, and then you go in struggling like Tottenham has been, and you go in and get a four nothing win. That's huge. Absolutely, and they now uh, Tottenham on seven points through four games, two wins, a draw, and a loss. Um, they, with two games left to play, they have a a four point gap over third place Red Star Belgrade, but they are uh, a little bit behind Bayern Munich, who have clinched their spot in the knockout round. Um, after going perfect in their first four games, um, let's uh, pivot back to Tuesday. The uh, which this is what I thought we were gonna uh, uh, eventually open with before Kyle Walker finished the game in goal um, for Man City. But Chelsea four, Ajax four, a four-one lead for Ajax. There was two own goals by Chelsea in the first half. Um, 
one more harsh than the other. VAR involved as it always is. Two red cards in two minutes. Um, let's let's first talk. Let's go with the two own goals. Tammy Abraham, a bit unlucky, but you know that happens sometimes with a a striker uh, back in defense. Somebody like him with such long legs. Yeah, you know, like it happens. He's just a, a lanky being in that box, and yeah. uh, and. It ricochets off him, and it goes past Keppa, and it one nil inside what two minutes, and then yeah, I believe so. and then, then uh, Jorginho the penalty, Jorginho with the penalty. Yeah. Um, and Jorginho, I think the biggest thing with Jorginho is you know we were told that it was going to be Jorginho and Maurizio Sarri, you know he was. That was the partnership. That that manager, that midfielder, he was going to make things happen in the Chelsea midfield, and he kind of struggled last year. And under Frank Lampard, he's looked he's looked great, Jorginho. Um, he's top man to be taking the taking the penalties, and he's uh, doing well in that aspect. But um, you think back to the to the weekend, the assist that he had on the Abraham goal. He's just seeing. Seeing the field differently than he was last year. He's much more relaxed. It feels like a, more I more mean, relaxed and uh, and a little bit more confident because of it. Yeah, yeah. You can argue that he he's like there's the Premier League takes time to settle in and whatnot. Um, he certainly took his time to settle in, but this is this is this is about what we what the player he was at Napoli. You know, like you're gonna get. He's not. He's not the fastest. He's not the best at tackling, but he's got great anticipation, and he's got great vision. And those are two things that can carry you in midfield for a long time. So, he's you know he's he's a really he's a really good holding midfielder, and that combination of Kovacic and Jorginho has started to work out a lot better than it did last year for sure. Yeah, and it's it's all yeah. yeah. It's always frustrating for a player to hear a manager say, oh, well, getting this guy back or having this guy improve, it feels like a new signing. But in the instance where Chelsea could not bring in players, um, a uh, resurgent Jorginho really does feel like that. Yeah. Um, and two the goals. ability to pay for Kovacic, too. Yeah, absolutely. The um, the allowance of doing that from FIFA um, really helped Chelsea, especially with, you know, an injury to Ngolo Conte that's kept him, that's, you know, had him in and out of the side. Um, but <laughs> Jorginho... We have to talk about Daniele Orsato and those two red cards. That I just... <laughs> and this is, like we mentioned before, this is where VAR comes into play. And, it, and it's just not being used the right way because you have it. Go back and look at this type of thing. See, I thought I that I thought I don't that, know if I if I agree with that. Give me your thoughts on it. Like um the tackle, the first tackle, right? We'll start there. These are both second yellows because they both had yellow cards in the first half um for various things. Uh Blin slides in on Tammy Abraham after basically being shoved by Pulisic. Um, that's the one to me where I'm like, okay, maybe you don't have to give the yellow card, but like 
it's a yellow, so they can't. Once he's given it, it's over. And he gives that one, right? So then after the play goes on, or, well, he plays advantage, excuse me, in the moment and comes back and gives it later. But as the play goes on, a sh- Callum Hudson-Odoi, I believe, takes a shot that goes off of the other center back, Joel Veltman, um, hits him in the hand. VAR comes in and gives that one. And because it's a yellow card in the box on a shot, um, I think or I believe Orsato believes that, he, that to give the yellow card there. So that sends him off. Um, they're crazy. It's crazy that it happened. Like I don't think I, I I don't think I've ever seen two second yellows on the same play. Yeah, and the the problem the biggest problem I have with it is yeah, go for the it. the fact that he he knows when Blind goes in. Bling goes into that challenge. He's going to pull that back and he's going to send him off. I feel like he's got to he, to set, give a second yellow. You got to just stop play. You don't don't play the advantage. If you play the advantage, you don't give Blin the second yellow. But I, I, in my opinion, I think he should be pulling that back because with it, it, if you pull it back, then the shot doesn't affect anything. But the, the fact that he's giving a second yellow, so. Essentially, that player should have been sent off before this shot was even taken. That leads to the penalty, leads to the handball. And quite honestly, I watching that replay of the handball on Veltman in slow motion kind of looks like it bounces off his leg first and then ricochets into his hand, which his hand wasn't in an unnatural position. It's not out wide. It's not above his head. It's down at his side. I don't, I, yeah, that's part of the handball confusion i feel like and i'm not even sure what the rule what the rule is supposed to be in this situation i, I don't know that anyone really is <laughs> the only thing um, that i'm sure about i know is that if it hits a hand or arm on an offensive player it's not a goal yeah and we saw that in this game with tammy abraham on the uh eventually disallowed cesar azpilicueta winner um, you know, the shot, I, th- I believe it was, it might've been Jorginho. I can't remember. I think who, it was. Who hit, uh, Abraham clearly, like just straight onto his hand. Um, you know, that, that's the one that I'm like, okay, I know what's, con- I know what the decision is supposed to be there. You know, like when I yeah. see that one, I'm like, okay, that I know. But with regards to like, uh, Veltman, you know. You could have sent him off. You could have not sent him off. Um, I believe in Italy, there was a, a very similar play with Matias Delict in a Juventus game recently where it basically did the same thing. You know, a shot came in and it hit his wrist, but it was in the basically the same position. This is an Italian referee, Daniele Orsato. Um, I'm surprised that he was so willing to give it, but he didn't even go over to the monitor in this case. He just, like, listened to VAR. Yeah, he was, all right, you know? yeah, you, you point to the spot, or the, uh... The one um, thing, the, maybe, it goes off of Abraham, it was too harsh. It, you know, it, the two of them. Yeah, That's the thing. It, this seemed... I, I agree with the, the handball rule to a certain extent, where it's, uh, you know, it, it can't go off a... The hand or arm of a of an attacking player in the build up to a goal, but you know in this instance it 
it does seem a little harsh considering it it's going to hit him in the leg, in the thigh, if it doesn't hit his hand. Um, but he did, he did end up getting this one right, which it's not nearly up for as much debate as uh, the, the instances about 20 minutes beforehand. Um, yeah. So... And and Dusan Tadic after this game was very critical. Yeah, he was. I was I was thinking of this, those quotes. He, um, was, he was very mad after the game. And it's hard to blame him. No, it's, um, not. it's totally not hard. It's totally. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Oh, good. You're, I'm agree with you. It's not. It's hard to blame him. Yeah, it's and, I mean, he's in a position where you know his his side's got a four one lead, and four. It to end the way, yeah. They were cruising for this game for it to end the way it did. Four one lead away at Stanford Bridge with none of your supporters inside the stadium. Yeah, there was a couple people. They kept looking up. There was a there was a few people in the corner. I think I don't know what what was going on behind. Do you know what was going on behind the goal? I do not. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Um. They looked so good though in that first half. It's it's um, kind of you know reminds you of the second leg in the semifinal where they looked so good for a period of time, but this time it really wasn't their collapse. It was kind of a uh, forced. It, yeah, it was. They couldn't do much about it. You know, I saw the the Chelsea official account uh, tweeted, you know, down four one, what a comeback, and someone quoted him was like, "Man, it was nine against twelve out there." Like <laughs> nine against twelve. That's so, <laughs> um, but you know it ends four four, and as things stand, um, in Group H, Ajax, Chelsea, Valencia, all on seven points. How about the, did you see that Condogbia goal? I think it was the third for Valencia I yesterday. Did. I oh, did. What a shot! Incredible, man. Yeah. We're probably not going to get to Valencia, but that that was some shot yesterday. Yeah, give it that give it that little mention. That's not uh, it's not on the top of the list the uh, yeah. Valencia Leo match, but um, <laughs> that's and listen, if it's what the people want to hear, we'll give it to them. I don't think the people want to hear about Valencia. I don't think they're tuning in to listen to uh, <laughs> Valencia Leal talk. Um, at least at least not to this podcast. So the final uh, match for at least for the English clubs, uh, to talk about Liverpool 2, Gank 1. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain scores the winner after uh, Wijnaldum's uh, opener was canceled out. Um, I admittedly did not get a chance to watch this one, and I believe you're in the same position, but um, nonetheless, Liverpool... I don't even... Liverpool didn't even want to watch this one with the, some of those starting lineups. They're just... They're, they're waiting for Sunday. Yeah, they're... they're uh, ready for Sunday. They, you know, they won the Champions League last year. Not that it's not something they would like to do again this year, but, but it's gank. The but it's gank, and the priority is uh, on City at the weekend. So uh, I really got nothing, <laughs> nothing more to bring to the table besides just mentioning the score. Um, and if if you got nothing else to add, we can move on. That sounds good. All right, uh, Madrid. Real Madrid six, Galatasaray nil, a 
hat-trick from Rodrigo, the 18-year-old Brazilian. He is the youngest player to score a Real Madrid hat-trick since Raul. Champions League hat-trick, yes. too. He broke Kylian Mbappe's record for youngest Champions League hat-trick today. That's, uh, it's just, you know, it's, it seems un- so seems unfair uh, with these with these super clubs having these great young talents while I'm miserable watching Arsenal in the Europa League. But... Uh, Real Madrid with yeah. a comprehensive performance, to say the least. Um, there was a little banter today on Twitter uh, after Sergio Ramos did not give Rodrigo the penalty they were awarded. Um, he like anybody. Come on, let's be honest. Nobody we, thought that we Ramos know. was going to give a, give that up. We know Ramos. He's the captain of the club. He is penalty taker. He's the penalty taker, even as a center back. And to his credit, though, he's like. Really good at it. Like, and I haven't, can't remember the last time that he missed one. No, and this this penalty was just he knew he knew what he was doing. He's got the highest like the highest panenka I've ever seen. Uh huh. Like he's the only guy that will like act- actively aim for the roof of the net. Yeah. On penalty kicks. Yeah, because the um, the, the margin of error is so so low there, but but he he finds a way to do it, man. Yeah, he's like you know he takes a lot of penalties now too. He's yeah. gotten pretty good at it. Since uh, since Ronaldo's departure, it's it's his job, yeah. man. Yeah. Um thoroughly thoroughly impressed with uh Rodrigo though. That that kid's really good. Yeah, he's like, he's, he's one that's a, a perfect hat trick. A perfect uh-huh. hat trick we didn't mention. He got all goals from all three all three uh what do we call them? You like body parts? Yeah, it, left foot first, header second, and then the right foot to finish it off. Very um, nice touch on the right-footed goal, and mm-hmm. really nice placement on the left-footed goal. Um, and he's, he's taken over that right wing spot for Real Madrid. Yeah, he has, and he and he left it late, man. Fourth minute goal, seventh minute goal, and then he doesn't complete the hat trick until the ninety second. <laughs> but uh, you know, he wanted it. He had his eye on it, and he, yeah, it's there, man. They, to their credit, they tried to get it to him at the end. Yeah, they were, try, they were trying. Uh huh. Well, I mean, with a five 0 lead, it's. Uh, I think it's fair to say that you can, yeah. you can get away with doing that. Yeah, that it never seemed like a uh, a game that Real Madrid was going to be troubled in, and you know it was the UEFA Champions League account tweeted like, "Who's got the strongest lineup out tonight?" And the they put like City's lineup, uh, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, and then like Galatasaray was the fourth picture they included. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that. Uh, Bobble on the left wing is gonna gonna really <laughs> trouble a- anybody. There. Steven Enzanzi. Yeah, like <laughs> I don't think that that's gonna be anybody's choice. I mean, go yeah. ahead, put him in there, give him respect. I but... mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not expecting much from Yugo Nagatomo against Real Madrid. Uh yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not really looking for much out of him. Especially, like they've all, they they've got one point. It, uh, it's... Well, it's got. I mean, it's here. funny to watch. It's always funny to like a trip to the Turkish league is like uh, going through time. Yeah. Because you just like you go back to people who were like questionable players on decent clubs ten uh-huh. years ago, five years ago, like Ryan Babel. Yep. <laughs> or uh, I think there's. I mean, well, and and Zanzi, Gene Michael Sarah was in this game. Mario Lamina, <laughs> like. It's it's names you know, but names that are certainly not names at, you know for the wrong reasons. Yeah, they're not at their peak. Um, yeah. It's kind of like uh, what's his face, or you know, I mo- most of my soccer knowledge, unfortunately, is Arsenal related. But like you think of uh, 
who's out on loan. We've got Mohamed El Neni over at uh, at Besiktas. It's like Mohamed El Neni is the perfect person to describe what you expect from the Turkish league. Yeah, like like a squad player at a big club is going to end up in the Turkish league. Mm-hmm. He's going to end Karius. up in the he's, he's going to end up in the Turkish league, and they're going to start week in week out. Yeah, no, they're the best player. Uh huh. Like. They're automatically the best player on their team. It's almost uh, sometimes like when, when these uh, older guys go from the Premier League to Serie A late in their career. It's kind of like the same thing. It's like, well, the it's a diff- definitely a different style of play, and these guys who were creative at their peak and have kind of slowed down get slow, that little that little jolt of yeah. yeah that little jolt exactly. of energy, and they look like they're world beaters again. Yeah. Speaking of Serie A, um, two very interesting outcomes in yesterday's Serie A games. Um, first, uh, I want to mention what happened after Napoli's game with Re- Red Bull Salzburg yesterday. Um, apparently, uh, Aurelio De Laurentiis, um, I don't know what you call, like, owner of Napoli. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, a, he's, he's a character, as everybody knows. Um, he apparently wants his entire team to go on a retreat to like where they go for training camp because of bad results. And he wanted them to go for this whole week from after the champions league game until, uh, I think they play again on Sunday or, uh, yeah, I think it's Sunday. Um, but they don't, they want no part of it. And, um, after the game yesterday, none of them went. It was first reported that Carlo Ancelotti didn't want to go either, but then apparently he showed up there this morning. Um, Lorenzo Insigne, the team captain, reportedly told um, De, like Aurelio De Laurentiis Jr., the son of the owner, he t- reportedly told him, we're not going, go tell your dad. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I haven't, there hasn't been any, there are no suspensions. It seems like everything is like calmed down. But I wanted to mention that because of just the ridiculousness of it specifically. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting when when a figurehead at the club, whether it be a, a chairman, an owner, um, or whatnot, you know, says like, "Listen, I, this is what I want to happen," and pretty much everyone else is like, "Yeah, fuck off, though." Yeah, no, we're not doing. This. We <laughs> this ain't it, Chief. We're we're gonna do our thing. Yeah. Um, that's, it's in, an interesting idea, certainly. Yeah. Do that. And, and listen, if if they ended up going through with it, might work out in their favor. Um, but it seems like the the team is all on the same page there, manager and players alike, uh, just not the owner. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, the other mention, well, you know, that match, the Napoli match uh, with Salzburg finished one one. Uh, Holland from the penalty spot, Lozano in the forty fourth. Um, Speaking of kids that are going to be really good, seven goals in Holland, the Champions League. Holland is real. Like the hype on this kid is real. Mm-hmm. He is going to be really good. He's like, I mean, uh, he w- the way he runs is a little weird. It kind of looks like it looks like Killian. Like you know how Killian Mbappe runs. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got those high knees. It kind of looks like that, but bigger and clunkier. Yeah. <laughs> It just I mean, looks. Holland it, is a monster. He's it's like, like one of those six, where it's like six five. It doesn't quite look like he knows how to fit into his own body quite yet. But uh, there's um, no way. But he could, seems I comfortable. Mean, uh, yeah, he's got a he's got 
plenty of technical skill. That's yeah. the thing. Like you can, he fits re- really nice. They they do some really nice moves at Salzburg. He fits in perfectly. He's not like I wouldn't say he's got like um, Zlatan type skill for somebody that size, but it's pretty close. Like the he's gonna that's the comp we're gonna get for for all of time. Mm-hmm. Like Zlatan was compared to Marco Van Basten and this kid's going to be compared to Zlatan endlessly. Um, he's really good. He he's, really is, yeah. And yeah, he's really good. And through four games, four points for Salzburg. Um, they're sitting right now in third place in that uh, Europa League uh, spot. They Which is move. pretty good. That's a pretty good, you know, they're not, uh, they're an Austrian Bundesliga club. Like, you know. Yeah. It's um, pretty good to be sitting on four points with Liverpool and Napoli in your group. When you're drawn into a group like this, you have to think that, that the aim was going to be, you know, let's see if we can be in it by by the final match day. Yeah, um, it, stay in it as long as we can, but make sure you get that Europa League spot. Yeah, and you know they got they've got Genk next with uh, Liverpool and Napoli uh, facing off at Anfield on November the twenty seventh. So um, it is an away trip, but they beat Genk six to two. Uh, the first time around back in September. And I don't imagine that they're not going to beat them again. Yeah, I I, I have a hard time thinking Genk gets the win here um, just because of the, the attacking nature of Salzburg and what they can do and what they've shown us so far. So in that situation, y- you know, they're going to be in the mix on match day six when they host Liverpool. Um. And that's really all they could have asked for. Um, yeah. Coming into this, Jesse Marsh has to be happy with uh, sure. with his side so far. And uh, let's let's pivot now to you know we mentioned the one Italian club. Let's go to the other one from yesterday. Dortmund three, beating out Milan two. Uh, Milan had a two 0 lead. Let it slip away. Um, yeah. And Antonio Conte was not happy about it. Um, he called out the uh, called out yeah he called them out he called out the inter board afterwards in um, <laughs> in some very interesting quotes which I'm gonna start right here which, which these quotes are fantastic they tell me I that that I should smile more on television but I always end up saying the same things about the growth process about taking it step by step the lads are giving me everything and going at full pelt and i can't ask them for more than that we are talking about players who apart from diego godin have never won anything who do we turn to nicolo nicolo borello who has come here from calgary yeah, excuse me cagliari or stefano sensi who came here from sassuolo you know it's the the quote is uh is very much aimed at the fact that his players are not used to this situation, not used to these situations yet. Um, I mean, we're talking about a guy whose first coaching job was coached the po- possibly three of the f- like the five greatest defenders and greatest goalkeeper of their generation. Yeah. So um, you can understand why he doesn't think that they're ready specifically, but um, it's an interesting it's an interesting frustration that he has because Inter specifically are just coming off of financial fair play regulations. They um, are now going to be able to spend more in the future. You would imagine um, some more experienced midfielders. And if you look at the rumors correctly, um, 
those exter- those experienced midfielders may or may not be playing in Barcelona. And so what is it like as a player in this situation where your manager is like, listen, I don't have guys that are experienced. These guys have won nothing. How hard is it to go into the next game with your manager having publicly stated he's got no confidence? I would imagine um, that they're, they're, they'll keep their heads down. Like you can't really, as, as some, as we'll remember from his time in England, he, uh, Antonio Conte is not a, somebody that you're just like uh, surprised if he criticizes you, you know, I and mean, you're not, and you're going to, you know, you're going to be going at a hundred percent every day, all the time. And, um, you know, they, I feel like guys like specific, I mean, the two guys that you mentioned specifically, it's, it's funny that they just mentioned them by name, but like, um, it's not untrue, you know, like yeah. Nicolo, Nicolo Barella is a 22-year-old midfielder. Stefano Sensi is 23. Diego Godin's a 36-year-old man. Um, I think another thing that you could look into this if you're like, if we're trying to read between the lines, um, he's trying, I mean, he might be trying to say, listen to Diego Godin more um, because I'm, as a, like, I mean, he was obviously one of the, He's obviously been the leader at Atletico Madrid for a long time and the Uruguayan national team. Um, you know, it's hard to be a leader when you first get to somewhere. But um, he's a vocal voice. It sounds like Antonio Conte is trying to get his team to listen to Diego Godin. Yeah, and, you know, maybe behind the scenes, uh, that's something that'll work. It just seems a little weird the way he went about it, but hey, that's Antonio Conte. Yeah, he's um, emotional. Things happen. He is, and that's his his emotion is kind of what I miss about him in the Premier League um, and at Chelsea. Oh, he's and, great always. He's and, such a, a theater act on the sideline. As much as I hated uh, watching Chelsea win the league title under Conte, um, I loved watching him celebrate on the sidelines. I I can't tell you how much fun it was to watch. Um, and they actually had like, there's like a couple commercials that were out that like featured that passion that he had on the sidelines. And it was like, I like this guy. Like it was such a drastic change, you know, going from Mourinho to caretaker to, to Conte, um, that it was like, you know, it was easy to hate Chelsea under, under Mourinho. And not that I love them now. It's just, I don't have the same hate for them because Conte is a likable guy. Um, Mourinho is not. (laughs) Yeah, uh, to say the least. We could go into that uh, in more detail, but I don't want to uh, start peeking on my levels here. I don't want to, you know, pop a blood vessel in my face. Let's not get too far from the games. Yeah. Um, So looking at things in Group F, Barcelona top with eight points. Dortmund on seven. Inter Milan on four. Slavia Prague at the bottom on two. Uh, They got a, a point away against Barcelona, um, not a very uh, good a good performance from Barcelona. Disaster of a performance, probably. Um, I believe uh, the only person, the only quotes that I've seen since the game are from Gerard Piquet and Valverde, obviously, both asking for patience. Um, the Valverde thing aside, he has made some very poor decisions, you know, um, I mentioned to you before we started recording that 
basically Arturo Vidal was playing center forward. Yeah. Um, which is not uh, ideal. No, it's 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 certainly not uh, your number one game plan uh, to get three points. No, you don't you don't want that. So if you're going there in a Champions League game, that's a concern. Um, but this game, this performance was far more about the players than it was about Arturo Vidal being at center forward. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, these are this is Barcelona uh, guys. Specific specific people like. You know, you got a couple of good moments from uh, Nelson Semedo, a couple of good moments from Messi. He hit the he hit the bar in this game, I believe. Yeah, that was really the closest very, anyone came. Yeah, and um, some people have I've seen some people argue that he should have laid it off that he should have laid it off to Griezmann there. Um, now, <laughs> like why it's Messi, <laughs> um, but more but the thing that's like. There was a, obviously a lot of negative things from this game, but uh, Griezmann and Dembele are probably the two that stand out to me. Um, like Griezmann is—I don't—I feel bad for him specifically because um, this is, he made a big money transfer, and he's being—he's not being exploited necessarily. But the reason why Valverde keeps putting him on the left is because he knows that. Griezmann will track back and track back well. I and mean, that's like, that's one of the things, like the, the most underrated thing about him is like, he's a really good, he's a really good defender. Yeah. And tracking back. And that, that was necessary for him to be in a Diego Simeone side for years. Yeah. Yeah. And he, that's what he's been doing. You know, he's been doing what the team wants him to do. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, uh, like in this situation that doesn't uh, necessarily a help the headlines, or B, um, get him goals because you know if Messi wasn't there, he'd be in Messi's position. But because he's not Messi, you have to put him like in on the he puts him on the wing so that his work rate is useful. When in reality, um, <clears throat> there was one I think there was only one game or one or two games this season where Griezmann has played centrally. Um, early on um, this season, I think. In La Liga, he played did it once, and I think there was one other time. Um, he's got like that's when he's played. That's when that's when he's scored. Like the confetti when he did the confetti celebration, he yep. was playing centrally. Um, this is an opportunity. Suarez is hurt. This is a huge opportunity for him to play centrally. If you're it's, not going to play him centrally, you're wasting him. Yeah, it's you know it's it's now or it's not a now or never situation. I mean, Suarez kind of fading out of that team, you know, a little bit um, as far as the reliance on him. But the the reliance at Barcelona on Lionel Messi is just, it's so evident at, at this point in time. Um, yeah. You know, there's after... No structure. No, there's not. And it's understandable after years of, you know, the, the Barcelona midfield that included Xavi and Iniesta, you know, uh, Busquets involved as well. And it's like... You've got it at some point. You're tra- you transition out of that, but you have to handle it well. And um, yeah. there's you can't handle it like they've been handling it. No, that's the problem. And there's kind of just been you know they they have so many attacking players, so many talented attacking players that it's like it's tough to find space for all of them. It's tough for them to you know they can't all be playing in their preferred position. Um. 
so it kind of creates this this situation where um, a match like this can happen, where they just look off. They just are not on top of the, things. The thing um, I, I mentioned uh, that Dembele didn't play well. Um, the thing about him that I like, I really it, it's finally been driven home. Um, we all expect him to be this like amazing guy running in behind because when you see him run he looks like a gazelle right mm -hmm. um he's this like you see him you see him get in behind and you're like holy this guy's amazing um he envisions himself as one of these ball to feet wingers so he like in this game specifically, he spent the first like 25 minutes. He didn't run in behind once. He just like every time he got the ball, it was to feet, to feet, to feet, and it just kept like it just kept going to feet. And there was one moment in the second half where Longley has the ball at left center back, and he's just holding the ball, waiting for somebody to run in behind. He's like Usmani, make the run. like you can see it in his uh, you can see it on the, in the tactics like the, the specifically the camp now that high camera. Um, you can see Usmani Dembele just standing on the offside line, standing there, not moving, and Longley just eventually hits the ball because he's like, this is the ball that's on, take it. And he doesn't get it, obviously, because he's flat-footed when the ball gets hit. Um, but he makes the run in behind like two minutes later when it's not on, as if to say like, or like I'm as you know what I mean, like to do the run. Yeah. Um. The timing is is off, and he just you you just it looks like something that he doesn't do or think about naturally. Yeah. Um. That's concerning. Not for him or his style of play. You know he's going to be a world class player and. If or when he leaves Barcelona, he'll be one. He'll do the thing that Mesut did and get like 15 assists in the first season <laughs> away. Yeah, like that's the type of player he is. Um, but he wants to be Mesut instead of uh, Neymar or Kylian Mbappe type player. And Barcelona don't need him to be Mesut They need him to be the other thing. Yeah, it's that's uh, the biggest problem. It's it. I'm interested to see how it plays out. Like I said, with with the the slew of attacking options they have, if if you don't really uh, if you don't do what's expected of you, uh, they're going to replace you very quickly, yeah. and they have I, the means to do so in they, the squad. Like they're totally on the track for like a huge shakeup this summer, at the way things are going. Um, Which is it's crazy to say, considering they're top of the group in the Champions League and they're top of the Liga. <laughs> Yeah, but, but to maintain the consistency, to the maintain the level the that you're at, like this is their worst league start in like 30 years. Like this is just a terrible Spanish league this year. Yeah, um, you know. So I mean, it'll be interesting. We'll see if any like if anybody like gets it rolling. Um, they're not. I like. Barcelona, it seems like a weird. They're in a weird place, right? Yeah, now. it's it's just a weird transitional period, and you know every club goes through it. It's just a matter yeah. of how they. It seems it feels how they a lot it. like. Um, I mean, I've been a like I fell in love with Barcelona with uh, Ron, Ronaldinho's Barcelona. Yeah. 
um, this seems like when that ended. You know, there there was like there was one. I believe it's the, it's the summer they hired Pep Guardiola. Um, he he like picked out like four dudes that he needed to get out of the squad immediately. Just got them out of there. Like Ronaldinho, I think it was Deco, like former Portuguese midfielder. A couple other guys. Um, that's what Barcelona need now. We'll see if they get that. Well, I mean, if they if it continues like it is this year, they'll probably get there. Because they're like top of the Champions League group and top of La Liga is not going to hold up over the season if they play if they keep playing like they are. Yeah, uh, someone's gonna gonna creep up on them, and like they they are top of the Liga, but it's not a uh, commanding lead. It's and they still have to go away to Milan too. Yeah, it's it's a goal difference lead in La Liga right now over Real Madrid and Real Sociedad. Um, La Real really good this yeah. year. Um, uh, we are nearing the hour mark here, so I do want to get close to wrapping things up. Um, quick mention of, uh, Juventus get a 2-0 win away to, uh, Lokomotiv Moscow. Aaron Ramsey steals what would have been Ronaldo's first free kick goal for the club. Do you think that would have been his goal or would they have given it to the keeper? Because for those who haven't seen it, um... Ronaldo was never gonna hit a free kick anywhere but into the wall or the keeper, and yeah. he hit him square in the chest, right? Like it was a perfect ball. He just dropped it, went through his legs, and and was rolling into the goal. Yeah, until um, Aaron Ramsey got there. It's it. There's a good chance that it would have gone to gone down as an own goal, um, but you could see you could see Ronaldo's reaction after Ramsey poked it home, and Ramsey kind of put his hands up. He's like, ah, I don't know, I don't know yeah, what you're talking yeah, about, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> we got the goal, we got the goal, because yeah, you know goal, you've seen. You've seen Ronaldo get get angry uh, uh, at teammates if a goal is stolen. You know the the biggest one I can think of is uh, was it Nani that stole his goal for Portugal and it he ended up being offside or something like that. Um, yeah, I'm sure he's gotten mad at a few people and he those, threw a fit. Over but the um, so and he wasn't honest, too happy about being subbed either. No, but that's never I, the case. Not happy about being subbed. It's a one-one game, and Ronaldo is a game winner. He's a match winner. He does not want to be taken off with ten minutes to go. Um, but also, still there. Yeah. Also, going going back just to that opening goal real quick. Would Ronaldo really want his first Juventus free kick goal to have gone in like that? If they did credit the goal to Ronaldo, if Ramsey doesn't poke this home, it still goes over the line. And for whatever reason, they don't give it as an own goal. Is that really the way he wants his first free kick to be remembered, or does he really just not care? It's I another goal in the tally. I don't think he has enough self awareness to know that he hasn't scored a goal from a free kick for Juventus yet. Okay, it's one of those things where <laughs> like, you know someone might like, ask him I'm in a press kidding. conference. I'm half kidding, but like, um, it wouldn't he, be the most he, shocking. Yeah, like the dude takes a million free kicks, and I don't know what. Um, his relationship with Miralem Pjanic is, but if I was Miralem Pjanic, I would beat him up. Like, <laughs> Miralem Pjanic is, like, actually really good at free kicks. Yeah. Ronaldo hits the wall nine times out of ten. Yeah. It's like, just it's just that it, it's, when, it, you know, when it he doesn't hit the wall and he does produce that special moment, it, it just... Yeah, but see, it's something else. there's but... going to be the special moment. You'd think that it's coming. And I it's totally justified because we're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, but it's not coming. It's not coming. No. <laughs> he doesn't. He just hits him right at the wall. He hits him straight all the yeah. time. It's crazy. Even this one didn't it just go like right through the wall? Yeah, it wasn't. 
it wasn't an impressive hit. Uh, yeah, he's. It's not like he. It, it's been a while. Since yeah, he was good at those. It's not okay. like he's breaking them out like he did against Portsmouth for for United. Like it's. No, no. He's not. He was a lot level. better at free kicks for United than he was for Real Madrid yes. or Juventus. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, this game, it required a late winner from Douglas Costa. A good run, little one-two, and tucks it home in the nice, 93rd. Very nice run and finish. Yeah. Um, and Douglas Costa's kind of reminding you, you know, I'm I'm still here. I still got a point to prove. I still got something to bring to this team. Um, yeah. And three points is uh is what he's he's got here is huge yeah you mentioned before how it's not easy to do going on long away trips hostile environments yeah who wants to go to russia no nobody no one wants to you know none of these guys are like like, uh really looking forward to the away trip to russia not like yeah like (laughs) it's november in russia like (laughs) if you want to give this to us in on the first on the first match day in the champions league or on the first day of July. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but no one wants to do it, but they got the three points anyway. Um, they got out of there with what they were after. Juventus on top uh, with 10 points. Atletico Madrid uh, with seven points despite their loss to Bayer Leverkusen. Um, Leverkusen in third. And Lokomotiv Moscow in fourth, but level on points with Leverkusen, so still a chance at... Not only a chance at qualifying, although seems unlikely, um, but they will have also a shot at the Europa League. Um, now, I did mention to you how we do like to get delusional on this on this uh, podcast. It's a uh, a shared del- a soccer delusion shared by two brothers in close association, but we're going without two brothers today, so we're gonna we're gonna rely on you, Mike, to bring us our delusion of the week. Delusion of the week um well my delusion of the week and i want to go back to um the barcelona game um it's against all uh reporting that i believe and people who seem to know things about their situation um i would really love i would love like if they could fire um valverde tomorrow and put ten hog in charge like if there's a coach in the world that I trust with um, not only a really good team but with a really to build a really good system, it like the the next guy is Eric Ten Hag. Like what he's done at Ajax, like is completely different than when they went to the Europa League final a few years ago, and is so much better. They're so um, in control but of what they're doing, not of the match specifically. Like the match is a chaos. He thri- their team, the team thrives on chaos. So I would, could you imagine you take, like you see what he's done with Dusan Tadic. Like if he could turn Dusan Tadic into a 30 goal scorer, could you imagine what he would do with Lionel Messi and all the talent? So um, I don't know if this is delusional enough for you, but my delusion of the week would definitely just be dreaming of uh, Eric Ten Hag. At Barcelona, Eric Ten Hag to Barcelona. I like it. That's it's delusional enough for me because it's it's a, a tough thing, especially to pull off mid season. Um, yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't seem likely even if they moved on from uh, Valverde because all the r- r- rumors and reports are that they will either go after um, Dutch national team manager Ronald Koeman 
or surprising but interesting River Plate manager uh, Marcelo Gallardo, who I had I don't you probably don't know much about him. I don't know much about I don't know much about the way his teams play. I do but not. He has a very yeah. good record in. Uh, he's a very good record with River Plate, and he's really he, he's about to go to they're they're playing in the Copa Libertadores final, which is the South American Champions League, uh, a couple weeks from now. There we go, and uh, so there it is. Mike's uh, delusion of the week is him dreaming of Ten Hag leaving Ajax midseason and yeah, uh, taking over this this Barcelona side. Um, Mike, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, it, it was a pleasure. It I'm was, always down to talk some football. It was great to have you on. Or soccer. Um, and this will this will not be the last time we have you on if if I can get my way. So uh, uh, if no, you're no, up to I'm, coming back, we'd love to have you. Um, you can follow Mike Linquist at Linqui6. That's L-I-N-Q-U-I-E-6 uh, on Twitter. Make sure to also follow at LastWordFC, at MCFCFootballCo. On Twitter, uh, you know, you can see the latest of his content that's out for Last Word on football. And also make sure you follow Footy Ado on Twitter, Instagram. Give us a like, give us a rate, subscribe, review, uh, whatever you think necessary. It'll help us be seen by more listeners, more football fans, more soccer fans out there. And as always, pardon our French.